Hi, I'm Carla Wainwright. And I'm Little Leah. And welcome to the Radical Sex Witches podcast, where we explore the themes of sexuality, feminism, consciousness, love, healing, ritual, magic, and all things witchy and wonderful. Hello, all you feisty fornicators, and welcome to another episode of the Radical Sex Witches. I'm Little Leah, and with me, as always, is the amazing, beautiful, fantastic Carla Wainwright. Thanks, Leah. I missed your singing introduction. I'm sure you're the only one. (laughs) I don't think so. I don't get texts from people talking about me singing. That's for sure. But at the same time, no one's told me to shut the fuck up. So it's it's a 50-50 at this point. (laughs) Yeah. So how are you doing today? I am pretty good. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a Wednesday. I'm good. It's Wednesday, which it'll be a Saturday by the time that you guys listen to this. That's right. (laughs) Who knows what will really be going on in the world. But you know what? Today's topic is, you know, it's a bit heavier. We like to have our laughs around here. But today's topic is about trauma, something every single one of us on the planet has experienced in some form or another. And trauma can be momentary or long term, and it affects people in many different ways. And most of us are familiar with the fight or flight where you encounter a threat and you either resist or flee. But there are many other forms of trauma responses, eight to be exact. And we're going to talk about them today. So Carla, let's start with some of the basics um, from our trauma response. Yeah. Okay. So what happens is our body will recognize a threat of some kind. And then our brain and the part of our nervous system called the autonomic nervous system begins to react quickly and it releases hormones like cortisol and adrenaline. So most of us have heard of those, those hormones. And what happens when those get triggered is then physical changes then kick in, which help to prepare us to handle a threat. So whether that's an actual physical threat or just an emotional danger or a perceived threat. And what's really interesting is that um, the, the more ancient part of our brain doesn't really distinguish between those two. So even if we just have in our mind that it's a threat, um, our body is going to respond in the same way as if something physical was coming towards us and we needed to take care of it. Right. And um, you know, we've all had this experience to some degree or another. So like you said, um, you know, everybody has experienced trauma of some kind but for some people, they can have an overactive response. So what that means is that they're triggered by events that for most people aren't really a big deal at all. And this is really common for people who've experienced significant trauma in their lives. So I just want to say like, this is a, a pretty general overview, the whole field of, of um, trauma release and um, support and all of those pieces is really, really vast and extensive. And it's actually fascinating that I'd say, you know, very much in the last decade, Uh, our understanding of trauma and its impacts has really um, grown so much. And I feel like we have a much better understanding and a lot more empathy for the way people or why people react certain ways. So today is just kind of an overview. um, And you, you know, you might learn something, you might kind of be inspired to learn more. And, you know, I'll share a little bit more about how you can delve deeper at the end. So There's eight F's. We love F words on our show, not necessarily (laughs) these ones, but flight fight, freeze, faint, fawn, feed, flock, and fornicate. I can't ever say that that word, you know, normally. Let's fornicate. What a fornicate. So let's start with the first one, fight. Yeah, Something so I don't fight. like doing, but. <laughs> no, 
Me neither. Me neither. But you know, these these first two I'm going to talk about, fight, fight or flight, are the ones that most people really are very, very aware of. Right. So fight refers to actual physical or verbal aggression, mm-hmm. and it really occurs when um, or it takes in count any action that you feel like you have to stand up to a threat or or negate it or neutralize it in some way. Right. And so um, examples of this can be, you know somebody is actually going to come and harm you in some way and you feel like you have to defend yourself. And so you kind of get that posturing of, of wanting to defend yourself, but it also could be something like, um, you know, in a, in a more um, like social sphere of maybe putting up a a social media post after your partner cheats and let's, uh, and you want to let everybody know about that they did it. Right. So that's actually like, that's the fight response. We've all seen those types. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm not, there's like no judgment around that, but that's just like actually what's happening in your nervous system. Um, Maybe have an argument with a friend because they say something in front of somebody that made you feel vulnerable. And then you, you start shouting at them. Or this is another one that you start spreading rumors about somebody who criticized you. Right. right? So that's like that fight response. It's very overt. Um, but even it can be kind of like in more sneaky ways that might not actually involve the person face to face. And when we know we're, when we're in that fight response, we know it because some, these are some of the physiological things that happen. So we grind our teeth. We want to punch somebody or something. Yeah. Um, crying, mm-hmm. lots of knots in the stomach and just really wanting to attack the source of danger. So like moving towards it rather than away from it. Right. Right. Yeah. We've all been there one way or another. We've all fought someone, whether it's been physical, verbal, ourselves, other people. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, when I go through these, you may, you may find like, oh yeah, I tend to do this one more and this one less. For the most part, we kind of engage in, in most of these, not all of them, most of them. Like, so for myself, that's not my go-to when, when I get triggered and my nervous system's dysregulated, I'm not a fighter, but I have been in that situation where that is the impulse that I've had. Yeah. I think that I was more of a fighter, not physical mind you, but maybe an arguer needing to defend my point a lot more when I was younger. And as I've gotten older, I've, you know, learned to pick and choose my battles a bit more. And then even going a step further that than that is like being really selective in what I say, because I just, I don't like fighting with people. Yeah. And I would also say that as you've gotten older, you've learned tools consciously and unconsciously to regulate your nervous system more. So you haven't felt the need to behave in the same way when you were younger. So whereas you might've just done it because that felt like the only option, you know, now you're able to take a step back and really think it through. Like, is this the right way to respond? The pick and choose of your battles, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, what about flight? there's this kid's book that I got read I just this is an aside there's this kid's book that I got read every Christmas Eve and I have my original copy I still read to my kids even though they are you know way too old it's a very little kid's book it's called how spider saved Christmas and there's a character in there it's really cute it's like the cutest story you could ever imagine and the characters are spider ladybug and fly and fly (laughs) There's a fire, uh, the cupcakes, ladybugs, cupcakes, light on fire and fly has this line run for your lives. (laughs) It's just like, fuck this shit. I'm out. (laughs) Totally. 
So fly, <laughs> I always laugh because I always think about fly Aww. getting out. <laughs> <laughs> Probably pushing, pushing the other bugs out of his way as he oh, does completely. it. Like- <laughs> completely. Run for your lives. <laughs> Drama and all the, all the things. Anyway. Okay. So flight is what happens when you want to escape or deny pain, emotional turmoil, or other distress. We're all doing that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So this, yeah. So examples can be, these are interesting. So throwing yourself into your work to occupy yourself. So you don't have to like notice what's going on around you. No dealing. Yep. Creating endless, endless plans for escape. Like how, what's that? Creating an oh, it's just plan like for escape, you know, just maybe daydreaming all the time about oh. how you're going to get out of here. Okay, and okay, just really not being present, but just got it. Planning how to get out, uh, working towards perfection in all aspects of your life, so no one can criticize or challenge you. Ugh, that sounds exhausting. <clears throat> yep. Um, ending relationships when you feel threatened in any way before the other person can break up with you. Yeah, I could see that in a lot of cases. Um, conflict avoiding, like at any cost, uh, or or just avoiding any situation that brings up difficult or uncomfortable emotions. And uh, using work or hobbies or, or substances, alcohol, drugs, etc., to fend off any feelings that make you feel anxious, uh, fearful, or panic of any kind. So just completely checking out from those by using, using a distraction of some kind. Again. Yeah. yeah. All things that we have done at one point or another. Absolutely. And so some of the reactions in the body when we're in um, flight are being super fidgety, uh, restless arms and legs, pupils dilated. And sometimes you can even have like numbness in the extremities. Oh, wow. So go deal yeah. with your shit. If you want to feel your fingers again, <laughs> <laughs> if you can, if, if you, you can, can I know not also, every situation is sometimes is, you can't No. And what's so interesting is like, you know, we have these different parts of our brain. And so the thinking mind, you know, the prefrontal cortex can rationalize all the things you should do, but when the amygdala is controlling the show and you're kind of getting into that very ancient part of the brain and that nervous system response, it takes over. It you really can rationalize till the cows come home, but you know, these things can still be happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, freeze, freeze. <laughs> yeah. So freeze <laughs> is a stalling tactic. And what happens is your brain really, it's almost like it presses pause, um, but remains hypervigilant. So hypervigilant means that you're just kind of still anxiously uh, awaiting whatever's going to come next. You're kind of in this hyper arousal state and not in the good way. (laughs) Um, And so you're waiting and watching carefully to determine whether fleeing or fighting offers a better route to safety. So it's often like, uh, yeah, it's kind of what happens first. Uh, Not always, but can happen first. And so examples um, may be using fantasy or imagination to escape day-to-day distress. Um, preferring solitude and avoiding having close relationships, hiding your emotions, your feelings, um, becoming detached from the world through sleep or by staying at home. This all just sounds like the pandemic. It sure does. (laughs) And mentally checking out from situations that feel painful or stressful. And 
that's, that's one I know really well of just like, you just mentally check out. Yeah. This doesn't feel okay. So I'm out of here mentally. And what happens in the body um, is we can often look paler. We can have that feeling of dread, stiff, heavy, uh, numb feeling. And um, because we, we kind of move into that freeze, we can be really aware of the heart beating like a pounding heart feeling. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Freeze. (laughs) yeah and if you ain't freezing there's also the option of faint (laughs) maybe maybe Um, the freeze brings the faint i don't know you're gonna tell us (laughs) yes and i just want to say one more thing though about freezing is that just you know from my own my own personal experience with sexual assault i completely froze and that happens to a lot of people in in that instance and there's I know that for a long time, I really beat myself up. Like, like, why didn't I fight back? Or why didn't I run away? I just literally couldn't. Yeah. I just completely froze. And that's the case for many people. And so just, you know, if you're listening to this and this is difficult to hear some way, like, just know that, you know, your body responds the way that your body knows how to respond. And it's, it's not a choice, a conscious choice that you yeah, need. This it's is in happening. the moment that that happens. Totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people have experienced that as well. The freezing. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So to faint and fainting is, is also like a a form of dissociation where we feel numb and sometimes um, people faint and, you know, that seemed to probably be a bit more common. You know, you would see women in Victorian times, like something would happen and then they'd be like, Oh, and they would faint and they'd have to get the smelling salts. So that can really literally happen. Um, and the reason that happens is so you don't have to experience the trauma directly, although you right. do still experience it, of course. Uh, and it helps you to be removed or mentally disconnected from the from the situation. Um, it also helps you uh, forget actually what's happened. So that fainting response um, will protect you in some ways. And some of the ways that that also shows up is um, just really cloudy thinking and maybe even replaying situations over and over again in your mind and not being able to, uh, you know, like something will happen that feels upsetting in some way and you just can't get out of that loop. Right. Repeating it over and over and over again, you know, and it doesn't do you any good. It just kind of makes you a little bit obsessive and that that's related to this response as well. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that faint is not as dominant as say freeze and flight and fight. I I mean, for me personally, like I'll do anything not to faint. And it's usually because I smoke too much weed or something like that, or, you know, (laughs) a day and I'm like, "Uh Oh, I'm going to faint. Like I'll do anything not to have that happen to myself. Yeah. But again, remember, it's also including like that really kind of um, cloudiness or just right you know, it, it doesn't, it isn't necessarily like one extreme would be fainting yeah, literally from physically. And at the other end, it's, this is kind of more like you're just, you're, it's almost like a level of, of opaqueness or confusion. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm moving right along fawn. I'm interested in this because I just hear the word fawn and I think of a deer. So yeah. <laughs> please enlighten it's not me. About, it's not about Bambi. It's not. <laughs> So this is a response that was coined by therapist uh, Pete Walker, and it describes a behavior that's usually unconscious that is trying to uh, please someone all the time or pacify 
a threat in order to keep Ah. yourself safe from harm. So we, you know, I'm sure we all know people who do this, like they're in a relationship that's not good and they're constantly just trying to make everything okay. So the per the person doesn't get angry with them or, or, you know, be abusive in some way, but it doesn't even have to be that extreme. We can do that, you know, with our boss, we can do that, you know, with people that we know just because um, causing any kind of conflict so uncomfortable. And, you know, example for the examples might be to agree with what someone wants to do, whether you want to do it or not. Um, mm. Praising someone in authority to avoid criticism or negative feedback. Um, and also like for yourself, it just feels like you actually have no idea what you enjoy because you never, you're never the priority. You're never the one who gets to actually step in and, and be the one who makes those decisions. Yeah. And you might also have very poor boundaries. Um, fawning often comes from, uh, situations where someone has grown up with a narcissistic parent or an abusive parent of some kind. And it's a learned response. Like, oh, if I do this, then I'll be okay. Right. Yeah. The yes people. Yes. Mm -hmm. Even though you don't want to people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so feed this, (laughs) I know where this is going to (laughs) go. So these, these ones that we're moving into now are kind of some of the lesser discussed forms of, of trauma response. So feed really um, speaks to food, of course, and that lots of people overeat as a way to deal with stress and trauma, myself mm-hmm. included. Mm-hmm. I've had lots of periods of that. Um, and, you know, about one in four people who binge eat also have PTSD. Oh, wow. Yeah. And stress and the hormones that are released. Um, you know, when we've experienced trauma or we're just triggered in some ways, make us gravitate towards high fat, sugary comfort foods. Right. And, you know, then we just tend to overeat. So we use that as a way to soothe the nervous system. It becomes like a self-soothing technique. So stress in the short term decreases appetite, but when stress is persistent, it actually releases, you know, you have this constant release of cortisol and that increases your appetite. Oh, wow. Feed me. Feed me, yeah. feed me. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, next one, flock. Yeah, flock. Um, so humans have a, a flock instinct because there's protection in numbers, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so we engage in stress-related flock behaviors like coming together in a clique. You know, <laughs> think about Mean Girls, <laughs> right? You Just can't like, sit oh, with us. You're not wearing yeah. pink. That's right. So yeah, just being together in a, in a group because it feels safer. Um, group think us versus them polarization, taking sides. And then, you know, maybe even like joining a gang or something like that. But uh, often we will, we will kind of glom onto other people, even if it doesn't feel like what those people are doing is exactly aligned with what we need or what we think is right, but it feels safer safer to be there. Yeah. than to be alone because human beings for the most part, um, we're you know, social. We're social and we want to be accepted except being right. accepted is like a fundamental human need unless you're a sociopath or psychopath. So. <laughs> <laughs> we're looking at you, Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> and we get to our last F fornicate. Yeah. Fornicate, 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 fornicate. I wish this was one of my fear, my fear F's. (laughs) I know. Me too. Me too. 
it's not, but it is for some people. So, you know, many people, trauma dampens the desire for sex. And, um, but for some, it actually really boosts libido and creates hypersexuality. So what that can mean is that, you know, if somebody is kind of um, moving through a trauma response, they might engage in risky sexual behaviors or addictive behaviors um, around sex, which can also include excessive use of porn. And it ends up becoming a continuation of the trauma. So there's a really big difference, I want to say, between someone who loves sex and loves having lots of sex. That's that's great. But somebody who uses sex as a way to cope with past trauma. So there, there's a difference. And yeah. Um, yeah, just to distinguish. So it's like if you love sex and you're having sex all the time, I'm, I'm not in any way saying that this is related to trauma. There's, yeah. a, there's a distinction between the two. So, um, yeah. So that's the last one. That's the last F. <laughs> Rightfully so, because we love to end things on a good old fuck around here. (laughs) (laughs) So we've gone through all of these different kinds of trauma responses, and you might recognize yourself in some of them. So what can we do? How do we, is there a way to alleviate it, make it better, or just dive right in? Yeah, so it's a great question. And like I was saying at the beginning, uh, this whole field of of um, healing trauma has really, really expanded, especially over the last decade. And so there are lots of things that you can do. And we're learning all the time about ways that we can help regulate the nervous system. So, um, you know, really simple things you can do. Um, just finding a breathing practice, taking five deep breaths, uh, stroking the body helps you come back into your body because often when we're triggered, we kind of dissociate and we leave our bodies in some way. So um, something I like to do that's not, you know, easy to do and people don't notice is just to take your thumb and, and move it across the tips of your fingers and just feel that sensation or giving yourself a hug and a squeeze that containment can help you feel really safe. And just one other trick that's really helpful is to look around the space that you're in. And you can even name some of the things in your head or say them out loud, because then again, it's like taking you out of whatever kind of mind spinning you're doing and bringing you back into the moment. So those are are just a few little tricks, but there are professionals who work with um, healing trauma response, like somatic uh, therapy, somatic experiencing. I've done a lot of that. It's been really helpful. If you're interested in the work of Dr. Peter Levine, it's amazing. Uh, He's written lots of books. He's got out there everywhere. And I'll make sure that's in the show notes. Um, yeah. And, and finding a professional to work with. So the work that I do is very trauma informed, but if someone has got a lot of trauma, I really want to, um, recommend that they see somebody who is like specifically dealing with trauma. And, uh, there's a lot of amazing people out there. Yeah. So my final thing is to say is that you're human and it's human to have a trauma response and have a dysregulated nervous system. We all deal with this and to varying degrees. And so, um, you know, if you're struggling, know that that's okay. This is just part of your humanness. And, um, you know, if you need additional support, you can reach out. If if I'm not the person to help you, somebody else, I can help you find somebody else who can be. And yeah, just taking away this information of recognizing like the various ways that you lived in this life and you may react in certain ways and all of it is okay. Absolutely. Just like everything else on our show, if you, everything else is, uh, it's all okay. (laughs) So that's a lot of really great advice. And again, like she said, there's going to be some, some little links in our, in our show notes for you to listen to, um, or check out. I can't even talk. (laughs) 
It's because I'm excited because next time we're going to talk about long distance and virtual sex, something that's, you know, current in this day and age. Anyways, I think a lot of people have been getting good at it too. (laughs) Maybe making some passive uh, income (laughs) as well. (laughs) As always, I'm little Leah. And I'm Carla. We are the Radical Sex Witches and we will see you next time. Hello, witchy listener. It's Carla here. If you're feeling disconnected from pleasure and unfulfilled in life, reach out to me and let's connect on a free call. I love helping women like you shift to owning your sexual power, reconnecting to your body, and finding your unique radical sex witch within. Go to CarlaWainwright.com or find my contact info in the show notes. Let's co-create a life for you that is truly turned on.